welcome to this week's teaching from Exchange Church in the heart of Belfast. I <laughs> know. So, listen, let's get ready to, are you ready to receive the word this morning? Okay, because um, like I said last week, I actually believe um, that the season that we're coming into as church is there, is there is gold for you and there is grace for you. There is encouragement for you. So every time you open the word of God, God is not, can I just say, the Lord is not interested. I know um, where you're coming from this morning, but the Lord is not, doesn't need to batter you over the head and to keep you in line by smacking you around, okay? That's not who God is. Um, I'm gonna talk about that this morning, uh, but I want you to relax a little bit because the safest place that you can be anywhere in the world right now is in the presence of Jesus sitting under his word. Because you, we approach, it says, it says in the, the word that we approach the throne of God with what? With, with cowardly kind of timidity because we're afraid that God's gonna do one on us. Because I bet you right now, if you look out, I'm gonna say look over your last week, probably just look over your last 24 hours. There's probably things in there where you go, oof, Oh, awkward. You remember, like I grew up, as I've told you many, I survived the brethren, right? And uh, not that there's anything wrong with the brethren, but I managed to, I'm a, I, I, survived, I survived the charismatics and everything else in between. So I'm going to taint everyone this morning. But you know that old thing of, you know, if the Lord comes back, brother, and he puts everything, all your thoughts on the screen, right? And he used to sit there going, oh, flipping heck, nightmare. You know what I mean? Anyone remember that? And you used to think, why my thoughts? Put his thoughts up or her thoughts up. You know, and you're thinking, flipping Nora, uh, this is going to be a nightmare. And uh, so I used to come into the presence of the Lord. I think he was there anyway, I'm not sure. And I used to come in, that was a wee joke. I used to come in and go, oh no, I'm a goner. And I want to tell you this morning, that is not who Jesus is, okay? Uh, one of the things about, it's not, and it's not like God changed his mind about his, his view of sin and his view of all that stuff. He just dealt with it in his son. Jesus for you. Do you get that? So if you are in relationship with Christ this morning, approach God boldly this morning with whatever you have need of. Because he is here with his arms and his hands extended to you because he loves you. And he wants to see you blessed and favored and prospered. All right? Anyone? Some of you aren't very sure. I'm not very sure about that, but uh, there we go. Now in that, um, so... We're going to look, I'm going to do it slightly different. I need to hurry up, actually, because I'm going to show you a clip this morning. Woo-hoo, how fancy are we? I just actually, because sometimes when you look at something, uh, it, it says it better than I ever could. So that, we're going to look at that this morning, because I'm going to look at the, the story in this season of maturing in grace. That's what I think we're at. We're at. Okay, so if you're a visitor this morning, you're going to be blessed anyway, but exchange people, listen to me. We're in a, I believe the season that we're walking into post-lockdown, post-pandemic, post-COVID, all that kind of stuff, the world going completely bonkers with all sorts of things is actually a season where the Lord is using it to mature us, all right? Because there's no doubt, like if you think of my kids, there's, there's things about kids which are really, really lovely and things that will drive you nuts. Any parents, right? Okay, so not that this is my children, but I've seen it in, in other people's. Actually, that's a lot. Because <laughs> our children are perfect, right? They get up in the morning, they pray, and they sing Bible songs. <laughs> Sing Bible songs. Take our youngest Sophie as an example. You'll never have to ask. We call her the dirt magnet because she's nine. What age is she now? She's 10. What is something like that? She's around about that age. You know, she's in primary school at some point still. And what happens is you, you never have to ask her, What were you eating? Because it's literally everywhere. 
So you'll say to Sophie, Sophie, there's Samuel and Dorothy. Sorry, hello. Great to see you. Uh, uh, um, you've been in Canada forever or something on your back. It's great. So you never have to ask Sophie, what, what are we eating? If she has a digestive biscuit, I promise you, it's in her hair, in her ears, up her nose, and everywhere else in between. And you'll say to her, do you have a biggie, love? And she goes, no. Right? <laughs> Sophie, let's try that again. Nutella's the worst, honestly. Just, we're always saying, oh, Sophie, you know, she's at the table and you're stripping her shirt off her and putting a, an apron on her because Nutella, it's going to go everywhere, right? She's going to be up her arms. She reaches over things and it's up her armpit. You, and you kind of go, as kids, we kind of laugh at that, don't we? Go, it's funny, all right? When, if she's doing it when she's 17, I think we've got a problem. <laughs> You know what I mean? And quite frankly, right now, the jury's out because I don't really see it getting any better. And what's interesting is there, there's, there's, thing, there's a thing of maturing. When we look at things that, that kids do and we look at some of those behaviors, if you like, or, or ways of thinking, ways of operating, we kind of go, well, they're kids, that's okay. And that, they're allowed to do that because that's the stage that they're at. But we don't let them stay there, do we? What do good parents do? We help them. We help them to grow, we help them to mature, we help them to develop. Because honestly, if I ever got this, if, if when Sophie's 20, if she's sitting in a restaurant eating with her hands, I'm going to say, her mother was a nightmare, she never told her a thing, right? <laughs> but that's, but, so we hope that that's not what's going to happen. And, and I, I think there's a little bit, and the other thing I think about kids when I think about them is primarily it's all about them, isn't it? When you're raising kids, I've got two, uh, you know, three kids. <laughs> uh, three, yeah. How many do I have? <laughs> if you're, I'm totally joking. I'm all over the kids thing. I, I, I know how many I've got and roughly what ages they are. So the, the thing that I find is with girls, I'm just going to make a whole mess of this and annoy people, but I don't care. Generally speaking, you know, the, the, the girls are going into like being quite thoughtful. Daddy, can I make you a cup of tea? Daddy, would you like your breakfast? One more helpful than the other. That's what I'm going to say, and no names are going to be mentioned, right? But underneath it all, there's just this kind of thing of, at this stage, even though we see glimpses in their wee life of, Daddy, can I make you a cup of tea? Make no bones about it. See, when push comes to shove, it's all about them. Anybody? I want this. She's got that. You didn't say. Why can I not? Like this morning in our house. We're getting ready to go out. I want to play swing ball. Oh, goodness sake. I had undone the swing ball. You have to fill it with water and move it around the garden. And the wee one, standing going, seriously, Daddy, can we not play swing ball? I'm going, Sophie, you've got to get out. I've got to get Ben ready. I've got to get out. I've got to print my talk. There's some things I want to change. Da, da, da. But I want to play swing ball. Can you, I was thinking, oh, Penny, walk in and go, we're leaving now. I know, Andrew, it's only half seven. doesn't matter. Just get, it, get down to church now out of the way because I'm not setting up this pigging swing ball again. <laughs> but in her we world, all she wants is swing ball. And Daddy, you're there. You sort out the swing ball. I don't care what's going on in your world, Daddy. She doesn't really think that. All she sees is her needs first. So, Daddy, I put my laptop down, came out of the presence of Jesus, set up the swing ball, and we'll go back to my notes. Look, I think one of the things that I'm trying to say as I get stuck into this this morning is one of the things you notice about maturing is it becomes less about you and more about others. It's one of the marks of maturity, actually. And Paul, the whole way through the, the New Testament, although I'm not going to talk about it uh, this morning, 
talked about the church growing up and said, there is a, there is a time where it's okay to have digestives on your face because that's the stage that you're at, but it's not okay to live there. And if you're, if you're looking for the grace in this this morning, remember you go from grace to grace and glory to glory. When the Lord blesses you at a point in your life, that if you set up shop there and go, well, this is it, and it's just about me and my breakthrough, you're gonna miss it. Because the Lord is always increasing his work in your life so that you see more of Jesus and you live in more in, in that lived experience of the power of God in your life. Now, the, the thing is, on the inside, what, we, what the world will tell us today is it is literally about you. You've got to put yourself first, put your needs first, put your desires first. Whatever you do, make sure you are sorted because there ain't nobody going to sort you. It's got to be you. That's the way the world operates. I'm not going to say it's quite sort of wolf of Wall Street, dog eat dog, but it certainly is a sense of me first and what I get is entirely down to me or the people around me. Isn't that right? And what we're going to see is that's not maturity. Maturing in grace is this process that we go through. And in the season that we're in, I absolutely believe this, that your breakthrough, that what you're longing for, what we've talked about this morning, God of miracles, you're going to find a miracle, not just when you stand with your hands in the air, God, bless me, bless me, bless me. But Jesus said, this is the reason why I came, to seek and to save those who are lost. And often when you extend yourself beyond your own needs and wants, you will find the grace of God fills you as you pour out his grace elsewhere. Do you get that? That's maturing. It's not the gestures on your face, me, 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 my breakthrough. Trust me, I think that some of that is fleshly. I'm gonna be really honest with you. And I think that some of us need, are in this, in this season are gonna find so much more grace now than what you've ever found before. Is that okay? But remember what I said last week? The problem is when it comes to us this way, because particularly in this part of the world, we've been so conditioned to, if I don't like it, it must be the law. If it makes me feel slightly uncomfortable, it's not from Jesus. That is a lie from the pit. That's just your flesh, okay? Remember, there is flesh and there is spirit, they are entirely different. When the spirit moves, the flesh can rear its head. Don't be confused by that. The word is clear on it. What we've got to do is keep our eyes on the Lord and go, where are you leading me to? What are you leading me into? What are you using me for? What is the purpose that you've given me? And in that space, I promise you this, most people live more blessed when their lives are devoted to the purpose of Jesus for somebody else. Do you get that? You live more blessed almost by accident than you ever will do on purpose. We're going to see that this morning. Is that okay? That's my introduction. And uh, flipping Nora, um, I'm, start, I'm just starting to get a wee bit of perspiring here. All right. Ooh. All right. So uh, as, uh, the last thing I want to say on that as well is remember that the disciples saw the miracles not on the beach, right, when they were first called. They saw the miracles in the going. Think about that. When they were called, they didn't sit on the beach there for the next 20 years going, just bless me with what I need. They got up, they went, and they followed. And as he went, bringing the good news of the gospel of grace, they went with him, and they saw, observed, and were brought into the experience of Jesus moving. And that is what they carried with them. Does that make sense? So that's, what my, I, I, that's the sense I get from the Lord about this season for us. And so I want to get straight into it. Right, let's, let's get into this. We're going to turn to John chapter 3. And uh, I'm going to help you. We're going to look at this story of Nicodemus. It's a well-known story. I'm going to watch a bit of it, actually, because there was a man, it says in John 3, uh, verse 1, there was a man uh, of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. 
this is interesting. This is our, the teacher of teachers saying, we know that you have come from God, right? So I'll get into that in a minute. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, isn't it funny? Can I just step off that one in a minute? We have got dead, I don't know, like the whole thing of born again almost has become like a, like a trope used again. You know what a trope is? Like a lazy kind of thing that's chucked against people. You know, you know oh, the born again crowd. I think it's really interesting, especially when we watch this, what, how, how powerful this is for today. Right? He says, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're, you're born again. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, again, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is, is flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel. Don't be surprised that I said to you that you have to be born again. Now, I, I, I covered this off in my series in John, so I don't want to go into too much detail, but this encounter with Nicodemus speaks right to where we are right now. And it shows you an approach to grace and an approach to working and dealing and living with people that will lead to transformation and to change. The reason why I want to use this story today is because it, Nicodemus speaks of two things. Uh, first of all, I want you to see how Jesus deals with him. And, and you'll see why the gospel of grace is the message. There's no other message, okay? The gospel is grace and grace is the gospel, 100%. Right? And so I want you to see that. I want you to understand that. But I also want you to see in Nicodemus, he is a picture of how Jesus deals with people who have not come into relationship with him. Because quite frankly, in these days that we live in, some of us have lost the fact that Jesus came to seek and to save people. We've lost the fact that Jesus said, it's, I didn't come for people who are well. It's not, well, people don't need a doctor. It's people who are sick that need a doctor. That sounds like a really bad message today. It sounds like, don't judge me, don't be on my I'm not doing the judging. The word of God says that Jesus came to seek people who were lost. And so on the surface, think about this today. Think about those people who I got you to, who the Holy Spirit brought to your imagination last week. Those ones who came to your mind. Right? The reason why the Lord brings them to your mind is not because er the world only has one way of looking at things. Do you have a bit of cash, nice house, nice car, nice job, nice clothes, a couple of holidays a year, and blah, blah, blah. And you look good on Instagram and all the rest of it. The world, we, we have bought into some of us the narrative that when that is in place, that they're doing okay. And Jesus looks at them and goes, they are far from okay but not to judge them and to make them feel bad, but to bring them into the proper experience of life because there's two kinds of life. There is life, which is, the, which is a, a, a kind of linear progression of time. You're born, you live, you die. And then there is another word that Jesus uses for life, which is zoe, which is experiencing God within that linear. Do you understand? And whenever Jesus came, he didn't come to say, I've come that you might be born, live, and die. He said, I came that you might experience me the fullness of God, the healing of God, the provision of God, the peace of God, the security of God, the purpose of God, that sense of knowing that why you are here, why you have been given breath, and the fact that this world, no matter how difficult it is, is only transitory. This is not our home. We're here, but we're not made for here. We will all spend 
all of eternity, those who know Jesus, in his presence, where there's no pain, no sickness, no disease, no fear, no lack, no worry, and experience why he, he ever created us in the first place. Does that make sense? That's what it's about. And so some of us need to, to not, not look at people different because I love this encounter with Nicodemus. It is, it is so full of grace for people to go, why when you walk out of here today, do you go, oh, my life's this, and go, oh, it's all tough, and no, 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 and grace, and blah, 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 blah. Or walk out of here going, Lord, give me your eyes and your heart to see people the way that you see them. Because what the world is crying out for, I believe, is an encounter of grace. An encounter of unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor in their lives. People are crying out to be healed, to be restored, to have a sense of it's gonna be okay. That no matter what comes my way, the God of heaven is on my side. He's not angry with me. He's not upset with me. He's not asking me to try harder. He's simply asking me to come and to surrender and in that place receive grace. That's what I believe we are called for, right? If you go, well, what about the wrath of God? The wrath of God, the Bible tells us, is satisfied. Oh, God's angry. No, he's not. You tell me after the cross where God's angry. Is God gonna deal with the righteous and the unrighteous? Yes, 100%. Is he angry right now? No, for God so loved the world that he gave. You know, it's been on every flipping gable wall here for years. God so loved the world that he gave his son because he doesn't want anyone to perish but everyone to come into the experience of God's life, right? Does God have anger as an attribute? Absolutely. Has that attribute been satisfied? Did he take it away? No, it's still there, but it's satisfied. The price was paid. We say all this stuff and half of us don't have the first clue what it means. But the wrath of God was satisfied. And now in this dispensation where we live today, his arms are open and he says, come, come. I'm not angry with you. I'm not upset with you. I'm not disappointed with you. I'm not, you know, Matthew 11 where he says, come and learn from me. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I will not lay anything heavy or ill-fitting from the message on you. But just come to me and you will find to your very deepest part, a love and a peace that nothing else will ever bring. Amen? Amen. Gospel of grace is amazing, isn't it? So let's look at this because Nicodemus, oh, holy smokes. Nicodemus, see what happens is I tell too many stories at the start and then I get myself under pressure, but I like the stories, so there you go. So this Nicodemus um, is a really formidable guy. He's a Pharisee, so uh, a legalist. He, the law, everything like that. He was around. He's also a member of the Sanhedrin, in, uh, in, I think it's John 3.10, he's called the teacher and sometimes called the teacher of teachers. And so he was super distinguished. Now, think about outside stuff, right? Think about outside stuff. We know that he was wealthy because of his position. He had lots of money and he was well-versed in the law. Remember the, the religious system? The, the law was simply the religious system given at the time of Moses, which said, God only works in your life to the same extent that you're able to keep the laws and the commandments. So if you're not doing so good, don't come with boldness to the Lord because you've dropped the ball and there's a price to be paid, right? 
That's the whole religious system that they operated under. Thank goodness in the new covenant of God's grace, we go, I keep making a mess of it, but you know what? I just point to Jesus, and Jesus said, I fulfilled all of the law, every T, every I dotted, on your behalf. Jesus didn't do away with the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. The law is good and perfect and holy, folks. You get that? It's just completely unbending, and you will never be able to keep it. That's why you go, thank you, Jesus. You kept it for me. Every demand. All right, so we're not anti-law. He was wealthy. He's well-versed in the law. He's politically astute. This boy was an operator. Do you get that? He wasn't a dozer. He wasn't like a kind of religious clown who just lived in a religious bubble. This guy knew how things worked because he never would have got to the position like, you know when Jesus in Matthew 23 calls the Pharisees a nest of vipers? You get that? That, I don't know, reading between the lines, that's not a compliment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Kind of going, I'm not sure Jesus was saying, good, good job, boys, right? A nest of vipers, we would say, oh, he's a bit of a snake, isn't he? What do I mean by that? Slithery and slithery. I've run out of words. <laughs> but you know when you say someone's a snake, they're slithery? Someone to help me out, help a brother out. But you get the sense Well, Jesus said that the Pharisees were a nest of these people, and here's the guy who's on top of them all, right? He didn't get there because he's nicey-nicey. Let me just move on. He was incredibly powerful, incredibly well-respected, but there's something going on in him. Look at all the outside stuff of the people that you know today. They might be well-placed in their jobs. They might be well-placed financially. They might have on the surface of it, but what we see in Nicodemus here is there is a deep need in him. Despite the external, the position, the money, the law keeping, the power, there's a deep need in him for something more. And so it leads him to take a great risk. He comes to Jesus at night. Why? Because he was in danger. Jesus was like dynamite. He was explosive. He was um, incredibly controversial. And for a man like Nicodemus to be seen in the very same spot as, as Jesus would have been uh, probably the end for him. He felt, do you know what? It's interesting. He felt afraid. So even though it's, it's, it's the insecurity of the world, Right? Nicodemus is on top of the pile. He's the teacher of teachers, all of this stuff going on, but he lives in fear. That's why he comes at night. Do you know what that's just like out there? It doesn't matter what your job is. Who, who can guarantee that your job's gonna be there in 12 months' time? What about your money, your pension, your health? You see, outside of, of the concrete promises of the new covenant of Jesus' grace to you, you have nothing to build your life on. And don't kid yourself that you do. You don't. It can go like that. It can go in an instant. Nicodemus, even though he is all of this stuff, he lives in fear that somebody's going to take it from him if he doesn't do the right thing and to be seen to be doing the right thing. So that's why he comes at night. Now, I love this. Now, Jesus has never really had a good word for the Pharisees, but let's just, we're going to watch this clip now. And uh, I just want you to watch, open up your heart and watch I think this is a beautiful picture of how Jesus deals with this man. And I want you to see, not just, oh, that's very interesting. I want you to see how he operates in grace, how he flows in grace, how he explains that the problem is not something on the outside, the problem is something in here. But let's look at the way that he he does it. He doesn't judge, he doesn't condemn, he doesn't finger point. He doesn't go, yeah, right? There is nothing but grace for Nicodemus. And I want you to think about that because that is the same Jesus who wants to, not just in your life, bring you to that encounter, but for the people that you know, for them to experience the same thing. Why don't we watch it now?
Welcome, Nicodemus. Don't be alarmed. He's waiting for you. I asked the owner of this house for more lanterns, but he said they would draw attention. Yes, I imagine they would. The human eye is drawn to light. We can't help it, it just happens. There are many things we are drawn to without our thinking or our ability to explain why. Thank you for agreeing to meet. Thank you for trying to help Mary when you did. No help. You were meant to be there. Me? So I could fail miserably at an exorcism in the Red Quarter? <laughs> if you had not been there that day, would you be on this roof tonight? I don't know where to start. I have so many questions. I... Shall we sit first? Oh, yes. slums. Hmm. Many wandering preachers have succeeded in gathering crowds with their rhetoric and fiery tone. I've heard a few of them over the years myself. So you know the type. Mm -hmm. But I have never heard anyone tell a paralytic to get up and walk, much less it actually happened. So what is your conclusion? I believe you are not acting alone. No one can do these signs you do without having God in him. Only someone who has come from God. And how is that belief going over in the synagogue? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why we are here at this hour. What else? What have you come here to show us? A kingdom. That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? <sighs> I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, may she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That part of you, that, is what must be reborn to new life. How can these things be? Ah, a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things, huh? I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. 
I know. Do you hear this? What? Listen. What do you hear? The wind. How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. I hear its sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is to be born again of the spirit. The spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the spirit, you can recognize his effect. Mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes. And I do not expect otherwise. I speak of what I know and have seen, and it has not been received by the religious leaders. It is hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles? Yes. But even more than that. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents and they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin. From spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Have you ever heard anything like this before? When I met Lilith, Mary, that day, I told my wife and my students that she was beyond human aid. Only God could have healed her. And then I saw her. And here you are. The healer. I, my whole life, I have wondered if I would see this day. Follow me. See more. Are you? Join me and my students. 
In two days' time, we leave Capernaum. Come see the kingdom I am bringing into this world. But I... I, I you have a position in the Sanhedrin. You have family. You are getting advanced in years. <laughs> I understand. But the invitation is still open. The invitation to what exactly? <laughs> to lead a nomadic life, to... to give up who I am. It's true. There is a lot you would give up. But what you would gain is far greater and more lasting. Is this another one of your born-again mysteries? I know mysteries aren't easy for a scholar. Think about it. Hmm? Take your time. On the morning of the fifth day, we leave and we'll meet by the well in the southern quarter. I am standing on holy ground. <laughs> holy roof, anyway. <laughs> I do hope you come with us, Nicodemus. Actually, uh, love that representation. Did you enjoy that? I, I think it says uh, more than what I ever could. I, I th funny wee bit there. Do you hear that? <laughs> I love it when Nicodemus went, where does it come? Or Jesus said, where does it come from? Talking about the spirit. Because I was thinking, Heathrow, probably. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but it's, it, li listen, you want to know what an encounter of God's grace looks like? Do you, do you see that? This is someone on the outside who has everything that uh, is important. And I, I love the fact that this is why I love, I love the gospel of God's grace, is that in that moment where he's trying to figure it out to go, what is this about? It's not about Rome. It's not about the external. It's not about all that stuff. This is about your heart and your life and your future and, your, and who you are. And what he does, I love that bit where Nicodemus's response under the law is to kiss the sun, is to, is to put his head down low, but the Lord lifts him up and embraces him. How beautiful is that? 
Seriously, how beautiful is that? That's why we go. That's, that's, that for me is, is what this whole thing is about. You know, I, I um, can I just explain a, a little bit of God's grace in this before, before I go? You know, there's, some of us will go, this will never work. I remember I've told this story loads of times. Like this gospel of grace that we have in this season of going, I believe that the people that the Lord is putting in your heart is leading, you know, Jesus did the work with Nicodemus. They just led him there. They just brought him to the place actually where when people are confronted, confronted in the sense of who they are, what their life is really about. You see Nicodemus there going, what is this really all about? Why did you come? And the Lord going, it's not, I'm not gonna change all that external stuff. It's not about me changing all the stuff on the outside, all right? It's about me bringing you to that place of complete freedom. And what I, what I love about it is um, I, I get the sense, I get that sense of, you know, in this country and in every other country, actually, it's like, that's why God has called us church. My sense is immaturing is about reaching people, not with what they've known before, which is God is angry, God is upset, God is difficult, God, will, God is a reducer in your life, but to lead them to a place of complete embrace with the one who gave everything for them. I love in that, in that clip, like, you know, like, I love that representation. That's the chosen, by the way. You go watch it for free online. Recommend that you do it. I love that representation of Jesus. It's one of my favorites ever, you know. I love the little glint in his eye. I love the able to chuckle and have a laugh and go, <laughs> you know, those preachers, <laughs> I've seen a few of them. You know, that kind of stuff. That's the, I go, that's the kind of Jesus I follow in my head anyway. And I, 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 love, I love the fact that he has a list of things because he knows Nicodemus from before he was born. He has a list of things that he could have brought up See, that's what people think, isn't it? When it comes to how the Lord's gonna deal with them, there's gonna be a list of stuff where the Lord's gonna go through it bit by bit and there's this and you're this, you're this, you're this and you've done, and actually Jesus knowing all of that, all he does is he gives him the truth and then embraces him. He didn't once cast up one thing, why? Because he knows that in his work it's all gonna be dealt with. That's the gospel of God's grace. Now, I have a deep conviction that that message is, on, is in every context, in every place, in everywhere around the world, is the message that people want and people need. I'm absolutely convinced of it. And church, if I could really encourage, I mean, let, let, let me just help you. It says in Romans 1, like Ben, whenever we he first heard about, uh, about hope coming along, you know, we had a gap between Ben and hope being born. And then when hope actually arrived, I think she'd been in the house like about three days and he came to us and went, uh, this isn't going to work. <laughs> I remember him wandering into the kitchen this day and going, this, this new baby thing is just not going to work. We were like, "That's a, oh, no problem, Ben. Let's just parcel her up and send her from wherever she came back. But he was dead serious that day. And uh, the, you know, some of us have this sense of this will never work. You know, either my involvement in partnering with, with Jesus and his grace and something, it's just not going to work. Let me tell you something. Even just is grace enough for someone? In this world, is what, what we see, that is that enough? Let me, t- let me t- just give you some Bible here. In Romans 1.18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in righteousness. Because what uh, may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without 
excuse. Do you know what's really interesting? What, 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 let me just help you with this. Where we judge that people kind of, they're doing all right, it actually says in the, in the word, in Romans, which is the epistle, the, the epistle of God's grace, right? When you read through it, it said the masterpiece is described of God's grace. His starting place is this, is that people are born with, a, with this intuitive knowledge of what is right and what is wrong. It's really interesting. I love commentary and stuff like that. I love a guy called Douglas Murray. Some of you are going to freak out when I say that name because he's a gay atheist, right? But he, do, he does this commentary on the world today, which I think carries more. He does, I would love to talk to him. If you ever watch this, Douglas, let's set up a podcast because he speaks more, of the, speaks more about Christian morality than he, 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 he probably knows. And some of you are really shocked that a preacher would say that from the stage. Now, don't worry, I don't feed from him. I just get interested in what he has to say. One of the things he said recently that I was listening to, he said that let's not kid ourselves. The world is moving away from faith-based morality, right? We've always knew right and wrong because we had a set of rules and guidelines which said you don't murder people, you don't steal, you treat people with dignity and respect and all that kind of stuff, right? He said we're quickly moving away from that as a world, right? And what's, I'm using him as a, as a point, he said, let's not kid ourselves that it's business as usual. We have no idea what the world's going to look like when we remove the basis of the morality that we've built generations on. Does that make sense? And I went, that's absolutely right. And you know what part of it he doesn't understand is he's living Romans 1. He's actually, I, I had that verse in my head as I was listening to him. I go, here's this gay atheist, and he has this intuitive, inbuilt, doesn't understand it. He's not anti-God, by the way. He's not... Uh, you know, he's not, I suppose, more agnostic than atheist. He's not anti-God or anti-Christian or anti-faith. But here he is giving commentary on what the world is going on around us. And he's going, we're in trouble if we think that we can remove God from society and everything's going to be all right. We're doomed. We just don't know what doomed looks like. And it, actually in Romans 1, it says that we all have this intuitive knowledge. I want to encourage you today that whenever you reach people with God's grace, don't think that you're barging into their world like some kind of 50-ton unwelcome elephant trampling all over their, their life. There's already something going on within them. The thing is, we don't see them the way that Jesus does. We just look on the external things. When Jesus looks at Nicodemus, he goes beyond his position, his money, his wealth, and all the rest of it, and goes to the heart of his condition, which is he needs grace. And so what happens there is there's this intuitive knowledge we're built with the knowledge of what's right and what's wrong. And that doesn't mean that God's angry or waiting to pour out uh, like wrath and vengeance, okay? You know, his, his, like I've said, his anger, and his anger and his wrath, his anger and his wrath towards your sin has been dealt with, right? It's all done. He wants you to come in, in, and receive his love and his forgiveness. What about people who go, how, how do people end up far? If, if grace and the gospel of Jesus is so magnificent, why are some people in your world and my world a mile away from it? Why, why do people, kind of, you look at people and go, how have they ended up not really caring? Maybe they just don't realize, or what is it? You know, I, I think in, it's in Romans 1, 21 through 28, there's this series of things that happens, Right? Now, normally we talk about what people do is the problem, but the, the way the Lord looks at it is, because you know, he doesn't mention what Nicodemus does, but he mentions who Nicodemus is, right? That, that's the issue. You know, sin, we always go, sin is what people do. And so that's why we go, well, they're not as bad as them, so they're doing okay. That word hamartia for sin is the condition of sin. In the book of Romans, it's used 49 times. I think 47 of those are nouns, who you are, and not verbs, what you do. Does that make sense? 
And so what we're bringing to people is not a list of do this and do that and do this and do the other. It's there is transformation for your soul. There's peace like you've never known it. There's hope like you've never known it. There's security like you've never known it. There's healing like you've never known it. There's purpose like you've never known it, right? And so what happens in Acts, you can read it in Romans 1. It says that what happens, how, how do we help people? Well, how did they get there in the first place? Number one, they neglect God. It says that. So it actually happens with people in the church as well. Verse 25, it says then, Romans 1.25 says that God then, when we neglect God, we replace him with something else. It's a question we need to ask ourselves this morning because you're going to live your life for something. Do you get that? Whatever age you are and whatever stage you're at, you are going to live your life for something. The question not, is not, you know, am I going to live my life for something? It's what am I going to live my life for? So if I neglect God, I fill it with something else because we're made to serve something. So something, it'll be career, money, affirmation, whatever it happens to be, position. But the question we, we you know, is it worth it? Is it worth what I'm going to give my life for? Because when we neglect God, then God is replaced by other things. When other things are in place of God, it leads to rebellion, it says in, in Romans 1.32. And then when it's about us, we stop being thankful and grateful. We live rebelliously. And it means that our consciences become seared, Romans 1.32. So that's what happens. And, you know, if you, if, you look, if you look at people and you see what they do and you judge it that way, I, I think we're going to miss it. I don't think people are particularly interested in being told you need to do this and you need to do that. I think we need to bring them into the presence of Jesus and allow him to love on them, allow him to pour his grace on them because every need is different, but he knows every need. And the, and the thing for us is as we go to that place, we are super blessed and honored more than we could ever be, just, Lord Jesus, bless me. That's why I love grace. You might go, well, look, I'm not like them. Let me just point the last thing, the last thing here, okay? Is that, um, let, let me just talk into people. Years ago, one of the things that was said about this church would be that we would be a church that would help reach people who have given their lives in faith but are bound by the law. Do you get that? Who live and operate in a religious system still where it's like there's no condemnation on paper, but I live continually under the fear of condemnation because I'm never good enough for God. I, I, I don't think people get tired of Jesus. People get tired of trying to please Jesus because the system tells them that's what they have to do. You've got to do. It's demand upon demand upon demand upon demand. And I actually don't think people reject the one who gave his life. They reject the system that has been built around the church. And that's why we're different, church. That's why we're different. I think that, you know, in, in Romans 2, Paul starts on religious people. He says that, you know, people get saved and then you're trying to put old lives back on them, old practices. Uh, and this, this winds religious people up. I believe that part of our call as a church is to, you know, whether people come here or not, if they're in churches, we bless them and we pray for their churches. We don't want to steal people out of other churches. That's not the point. But the point is to be somewhere where we give them the encouragement and the truth that Jesus loves them no matter what. That Jesus is for them no matter what. That the law is done as far, it's actually if you, in Hebrews it says the law is obsolete. Obsolete means no longer fit for purpose. That's a strong word that probably Paul was writing in that book. 
You see, some of us sometimes think we've obtained you know, this kind of level of holiness and it gives us the right to look down on other people, but we don't. James 2.10 says, whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles on one point is guilty of it all. And so whether it's people who don't know Jesus or people who are in places where we would go, are you crazy? Why are you knocking yourself sideways for Jesus? He doesn't need that from you. You want to serve from a place of peace and rest because you get to serve, not because you have to serve. But either way, pointing the finger is not going to work. Let me round this up now. Okay, it says in Romans 2, 4, don't judge people whether they're there or whether they're there. It doesn't work. It says in Romans 2, 4, don't despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, knowing that is the goodness of God that leads people to repent. Now, religious people will reject that truth. People who don't know Jesus don't even understand what that means. But actually, what I want to say is this, is that our call in this season from now is to be a place where, as 1 John 4, 18 says, there's no fear in love because his perfect love casts out all fear. That's why we're here. Do you hear that? Where does it come from? Right? It's planes going overhead if you're online. Do you hear me in that? I want you to keep that picture today. To go, whether people don't know grace, we're not pointing the finger, whether people don't know Jesus, he does the same thing with them. He brings them to a point where he embraces and holds them and loves them into change. And if you've never seen the need of that, then today the Lord's saying, that is why I came. And your purpose and your future will be found when you do the same. Does that make sense? Close your eyes for one minute as we, as we start to finish. Okay, we have some... I'm going to get ready to take communion in a moment. But what I'd like you to do is I would just like you to close your eyes. And even, even again today, there'll be people in your world who have come, you know, come to your, your mind, come to your memory. People who you've started to think about. And the reason why they're in your mind this morning is because the Lord's speaking to them right now. As you, do you know what, as you're sitting here, resting and hopefully enjoying the presence of Jesus, the Lord is at work. He's at work in the, those people's lives. Today, he's gonna bring people across their path. They're gonna see things as they flick on social media. There's gonna be a reminder for them today that they were built and made for more. That the life that they are looking for will never be found in the outward things, but it'd be found in an encounter, not of religion, but an encounter of God's grace. And the Lord says to you today, in one way, rest easy because I'm working on them. I love them. I'm drawing them. I'm speaking to them because I love them. I love them with a love that you will never understand. A love that caused my son to be nailed to a cross and carry every weight of sin and death for them. And I've never stopped loving them, the Lord says. They've never been out of my sight for one minute. And I'm drawing them, the Lord says. And the Lord says, I want you to co-labor with me in this. Co-labor does not mean 
to do the work. In the covenant of grace, it means that we receive the work and we do as he asks us. So those people who are in your mind right now and you go, Lord, that's Zoe life. I would love to see them. And you have this picture. You know, you know when the Lord paints a picture in your head? Think about that person right now. If they're sick, what do they look like well? If they're far from God and they're upset, repeating the same mistakes and going around the same old mountains, what does that look like fixed? What does it look like in their homes? If they're suffering from mental health issues, anxiety and depression, what does it look, what, what is the Lord showing you that looks like healed in their life? Can you picture their face with a new sense of joy and excitement and freedom? Can you see the heaviness just broken off them? What do you see? Look again and tell me what you see, the Lord says, because that's what I'm working in their lives. And I'm gonna use you to speak that, to bring that, to love them, so that they will come to that encounter of Zoe life because that is what grace is for. Grace is for the world. And the Lord says over you today, do not worry. He says that how many times? Do not be afraid, do not fear. But he says, don't you worry about your tomorrow. Consider lilies, consider the birds. The Lord says, I've already taken care of everything that you need. Everything that you feel you lack, I've already provided it for you. You will not walk in lack. You will not walk in fear. You will not walk in anything less than my promise, the Lord says to you. Do not think for one moment as you extend yourself and share my grace that you will go do without. The Lord says, as you give, I am pouring in to you and you will never outgive me, says the Lord. Because my heart is to give. My heart is to pour. My heart is to see you walk in grace upon grace in your life. A deepening experience every day of Zoe life. That's what I have for you. So don't be afraid. Lord says this week, I want you to speak life over that person. I want you to speak healing over that person. I want you to speak grace over that person. I want you to speak hope and future over that person. And as you speak, believe that in that moment that I am working. And the Lord says this, my word will never return to me void, but it will always fulfill the purpose for which it is sent. And as you send it forth, okay? As you send it forth, the, the, there's, there's Greek for that in the Bible, it's prometere. It means as I am going to speak future, declaration is speaking future as you speak future the Lord says this they're going to see the goodness of God and you're going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living you're going to see the fulfillment of that promise why because that's the Lord's work isn't that awesome there's people thinking about their families right now the Lord's bringing your families and there's fresh hope for you this morning where you've just thought this is it there's somebody who's gone this is it it's never going to change this is just the way that it is I'm talking about your children. The Lord says, I haven't finished with them. Every day I speak to them. The investment that was made in them will come to fruit. It doesn't matter whether they're 15 or 65. The Lord says, leave them with me, but you speak every day that which you believe grace will do in their life. 
And that's a powerful weapon to bring about the goodness of God in their lives. Share with them, speak with them, invite them, be courage, take courage and be bold. And we're gonna see the grace of God save men, women and children into the life that the Lord has for them. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? This morning we're gonna take communion. Uh, worship guys, if you wanna get ready too, please. Um, if you've got communion there, it looks like this. Take it in your hands. Um, went up on your feet, folks. And we're going to get ready. We're also going to take uh, our offering as we get into our last song. And uh, remember with your offering, it's good to be generous. And uh, the Lord's not in a cost of living crisis. Don't you worry about that. And uh, you will see as you honor God and you trust God with your stuff, you'll see him move in ways that you never thought were possible. Um, so don't, don't give in to the narrative of the world, okay, uh, in, around your money. But be generous with your tithes and your offerings. Lord, we thank you for the, your body broken for us. Are you sick this morning, anyone? Anyone anxious? Anyone upset in your mind or in your body? Just in faith now, I believe that you're going to receive. And we hold the bread in our hands, Father, and we say thank you that your body was broken for us. Thank you, Jesus, that whenever your body was broken, it was for our healing. It was in our minds and in our bodies, it was for our healing that you died. And so, Jesus, we say thank you. And in faith, as we eat, we receive health. We receive strength. We receive energy this morning, Lord. We receive life in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And Father, we thank you for the cup. And thank you, Father, that the cup was poured out for us, Lord, your blood. And says that because your blood was poured out, every curse was reversed. Every curse was reversed over our lives. Every single one. You can say over your life this morning, there is no unwritten claim against me or written claim as well. Everything has been satisfied by the blood of Jesus and I stand before him holy and acceptable, totally blameless, the Lord says, both now and forever. He perfected you forever. Isn't that awesome? Well, it's awesome for some of you and, I, and all because of the blood of Jesus. And so as you drink this morning, what you do is you say, Lord, thank you that I am righteous. Lord, that is not all the times the way that I live, but when you look at me in my spirit, I have been perfected forever. That's what your word tells me. Why? Because of what I have done? No, because of what he did. That blood poured out broke the curse of sin and death. So we drink and we say, thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Are you encouraged this morning? Brilliant. That's... Got a wee bit over a wee bit late. Sorry about that. Um, well, sorry not. Sorry, I'm not actually. <laughs> Let's worship with this last song. Keep your concentration, okay? And just lift your hands, lift your heart, and say, "Thank you, Jesus, for your grace in my life. Thank you that as I walked out, of, walk out of here, I am covered. I am in a safe place because you are with me. And thank you, Lord, that those those people that I love and are dear to me." Lord, that you're speaking and working in them. And I am going to partner with you, Lord, to see your grace change their lives. Amen? Amen. Amen.